1: something we watched
0: (laughs) god damn it thank god it's over I'm feeling angry right now like I'm afraid I'm going to say something mean
1: no we can't say mean things
0: you mean the royal we or the folks in the room with you
1: Oh, I mean, Because yes. I
0: really want to say mean things.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Well,
2: folks, if you have listened to our show before, and I'm sure that you have, it seems like a very strange episode to come in if you're brand new to the show. But hey, if you are, welcome. This is Unpocalypse Now, and I am Timothy Harvey.
1: I'm, I'm Dustin.
2: And I'm Curtis. And we, well, we're, we just finished watching The Stand. The last three episodes of The Stand, including... Episode nine, which is to some degree new material, not quite what it was billed as, is basically being a whole new episode, completely from the mind of Stephen King that has never been seen before, except well.
1: Except for in the nineties and then in the in in the book.
2: So not entirely new material, but
1: Hey, uh, do you remember when when we talked about on this show how they said they didn't uh, hire a deaf person to play Nick? Because it's important there are scenes where he has to be able to speak. Sure. Yes. You know, there's a whole that. like thing about him in the spirit world is able to speak. And he speaks to uh, Tom Cullen and he speaks to Stu Redmond uh, uh, in the spirit world after he dies. Uh, and then they didn't do those scenes at right, all. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like none of the scenes where Nick speaks, they do any of them.
0: He did. He did one scene with uh, where he spoke with Flag, where he said, "I can give you a voice," and then he could speak, but he didn't say a lot.
2: Well, but that's what you're really talking about, Dustin, is the fact that there is uh, a significant chunk of the tail end of the book, which this miniseries does not adapt. Right. Pretty much the well, entire journey back from Vegas yeah. to Colorado.
1: That's not what this miniseries was about. This is never about the journey. It's all about destinations with this miniseries. And if it can be destinations where the evil people live and do things, then that's what we find interesting. We don't want you know, let's let's hang out with the bad guys and be bad.
0: Well, as little sense as that made, I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't want to mess with you.
2: Hey, we got a walking scene in episode what seven. We there got was, a driving scene traveling. in episode nine. There was there was some traveling, and they there's- did
1: two things that that happened earlier in the in the book with Fran in this last episode. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Larry is trying to get, uh, I think it's gasoline, out of a pump, and he has to reach inside and like risk his fingers to do it and she kind of does a similar thing uh in in episode nine and also there's an extended uh series of vignettes in the book where it talks about different people that didn't get captain trips Mm -hmm. and how they died because a lot of people died that didn't get Captain Trips. And one of the people that dies is a little boy whose whole family, he lives on a farm in Nebraska and his whole family dies. And one day he goes out to the pump, the well pump to get some water and the floor collapses and he falls down the well. And of course he then, you know, spends several agonizing days with a broken leg at the bottom of the well and can't get out and dies uh, because Stephen King loves that sort of thing.
0: And that's, The shit that we love about Stephen King that we we didn't get any of. Right. He wasn't cruel enough to his characters. (laughs) Yeah, but we didn't get enough time
2: with the main characters of this show, let alone getting vignettes of other people. Oh, yeah. This is the longest continuous amount of time Franny has been on screen.
1: Yeah, since the first couple of episodes. And I just, I feel, yeah okay, all right let's back up let's back up and talk about episode seven
0: a lot of ground to cover tonight
1: not really yeah
0: that's that, <laughs> that's exactly where I was going too because this was they could have used their utilized their time more officiously
2: yes, well, and I don't know that we necessarily need to talk about the difference between episode seven and episode eight, because they are the same story. Right. Most of which takes place in Las Vegas. There's a little bit of time on the road. And as I'm watching these two episodes, because episode nine is its own separate thing. As I'm watching these two episodes, I think to myself, this, if this is how we're going to focus on characters, if this is how we're going to pace the show. And I, like I said, I, I frankly, I thought seven and eight were, better than anything we'd seen so far.
1: I agree with you. I think that 7 and 8, I think that the show did hit a stride.
2: At the very end.
1: Right. It, it, it did hit, I think that like 6 was pretty good, 7 was good, and 8 was good. But again, like I said, those are the episodes that's, that stuck most closely to what the book was mm-hmm. doing.
2: But if you look at the pacing of those episodes and the focus they have, how they develop the characters and what, you know, there was a whole lot of time to breathe in what was going on in seven and eight. Mm -hmm. It tells me that this should have been like a 12 episode series or a 16 episode series that the decision to go with nine episodes is was a really poor one. Because the pace, you know, I still had problems with these two episodes, but the pacing and how they actually spent time with character, Mm -hmm. I actually really enjoyed more than I've enjoyed anything else in the series. Yeah. Reasonable. That said, I do have some issues.
1: Well, we start episode seven in in a super awesome place uh because it starts off with Harold and Nadine driving down the road uh Harold in in trying to keep up with Nadine ends up crashing his motorcycle goes off the edge uh ends up really hurt broken leg impaled on a tree and uh he's like Nadine come save me Come save me, Nadine. And she's like, no, that was never actually part of the plan. So, you know, have fun dying super badly at the bottom of this ravine.
0: I rather enjoyed his ending.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that because because it gave him... I mean, they spent so much time with Harold that you... Through the rest of the show, that, like, he's almost more of a main character than anyone else in, in the show. They spent so much time being like, you know, oh, let's get into Harold's mind and see what Harold's doing, that it needed to have some sort of weight to his death. And I feel like it did.
2: And I would say that it did and it didn't, because his death is awfully abrupt. Mm which I don't necessarily have a problem with because violence happens quickly from the time that he crashes to the time that he puts the gun in his mouth. It's not that long. Mm -hmm. That said, I have two problems with this particular scene. One is that for someone with a broken leg and a very large piece of wood crammed through the upper portion of his chest.
1: Montabia! He's
2: very calm, and stable, and he holds his notebook just so, and he writes right. in his notebook very neatly. And I'm thinking to myself,
0: "No, no, he he'd have been in shock in seconds."
2: Well, I mean, and then yeah, if he's in that much shock, he's not writing neatly in his little notebook. He's, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. This is this is this is entertainment, right? And people never react the way that you really react when you're that badly hurt mm-hmm. in entertainment. But there's also a bit in the book, which they leave out here, because he starts off in the book blaming Flag for Everything. That's his first note. The note that they find is version two. The version one is, I was led astray by badness. And then he gets rid of that note and writes, I regret the things that I've done, but I made the decisions myself. I have no one to blame. Basically, it's that I have no one to blame for my death but myself. And they kind of combine those two into this note. Yeah. But it also takes away that moment that Harold actually get that he actually gets in the book, which is the realization that he was wrong. The fact that he had to acknowledge the fact that, you know, it wasn't the world was against him and you know, he was put upon and no one recognized his genius or anything like that. No, he just didn't see the opportunities for a better life and about being a better person.
1: Right. And that
2: I feel like, I feel like mm, a moment I'm like, Oh, you couldn't have given us just that little bit.
1: Well, I feel like this show, like I said, I've said more than one time, uh, this show just loved Harold too much. It wanted, like, if it, if it could have, if if they could have kept Harold alive and somehow made him one of the the like redeemed him in some way, if that you know and, and kept him alive, they probably would have. They loved that kid. I, I think they they put way too much emphasis on Harold throughout the yeah. course of the series. And, and they that was detrimental because then they wanted to have him have a sympathetic death when he probably didn't deserve one.
2: Well, no, he doesn't really deserve one based on
0: what we've seen in this show. His crash was a thing of beauty, though. It was just lovely. <laughs> mm-hmm. In
2: fairness to these three episodes, the effects work and the violence and the gore Kind of was ramped up a little bit, and we get a little bit more of the horror aspects of this story. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a pretty good job with, you know, showing violence being violent.
1: Yes. When we want want violence, we want violence.
0: Exactly. Dead, so.
1: Give me the violence. (laughs) But I don't know. I think, um, like, okay, so Harold dies, and Nadine heads on to Vegas, and, and Nadine meets up with Flag, and they have kind of a sexy meat in the sexy desert and uh he astral projects them to his hotel room and they get busy and it's real sexy but then nadine like snaps out of it a little bit and she sees that what he really looks like uh and it's like a gooey monster and whatever
0: very unimpressive
1: Yes, the gooey monster was not very impressive. the The thing that I wish that they had chosen to do, uh, which we talked about earlier, and I think would have been really cool if they had chosen to do this in the, and it looked like they might until they were like, oh, I mean, we've got a Sarsgaard, we've got to show his beautiful face. Uh in the, and that Burke. I feel like that's all I've said for the last several weeks of this show. <laughs> In the book, they don't describe Flagg's face because everybody has a really, really hard time looking at it. Looking at at Randall Flagg's face is almost painful as described in the book. And people have a vague idea of what he looks like. But no one can really look him in the face and the first time anybody uh, like is is able and really looks him in the face is Nadine in their desert sex scene and it drives her completely crazy like by the time they get to to Las Vegas she is a babbling like lunatic and i feel like they really missed an opportunity to just give us little tiny like glimpses like just little looks at his face especially over nine episodes where they really didn't spend that much time with Flag, they could have absolutely not shown his face very much and then have her see it and go crazy that would have been really cool but they didn't do that she does go crazy she goes crazy but not in the way that I would have enjoyed
2: well it's a, how she goes crazy is a little bit different than what's in the book she keeps a certain amount of her faculties.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's, but there's a couple of interesting moments where you see her just in this dream world that he's put her into, where you get the disconnect that she's hallucinating, if nothing else. Right. It doesn't, I mean, they don't really lean into the fact that her mind is completely snapped. Right. But the whole um, getting into the car thing and the glamorous. The white dress and oh so pretty was actually a little scene I quite liked because it's yeah. very surreal.
1: Right, right, right. I like. I mean, we have to compare it, unfortunately, to Nadine Cross as played by uh, Laura San Como in the '90s, who just ate those scenes alive, like <laughs> which she, she did. She gets in the elevator, and she goes, we're all dead, and this is a hell, as oh, the doors yeah. are closing. And it's just like, oh, of course, they has gone crazy. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't. And, like, I love that she did get her suicide, which, you know, is, is a good you know i like i like that we were able to see
2: well but even there that's different than the book again we're back to the book because there she basically goads flag into causing her to fall right here it's much i mean and and i don't necessarily have a problem with her making the decision herself mm-hmm. i think that one of the things that they they tried to show in these last couple of episodes is that flag needs belief
1: right He's like Freddy Krueger in that way.
2: And, uh, well, and and Tinkerbell. And, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) disembowel your neighbor if you believe. Come on, kids. And uh, so I kind of, I I appreciated the fact that we got to see these little hits to his power. Mm -hmm. Where you get, you know, these indications that if there were enough people or the right kind of Opposition to his the belief propping him up, right? The way that it sort of built into causing you know the the people around him to not necessarily lose faith, but to look at themselves.
1: Right. Yes, I really liked the things they did with Lloyd in his episodes, or in 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 these last couple of episodes, where because I mean. In the, in the book, there's, that's also very prevalent, is the idea of losing faith in Flag, and people are, like, running away from Las Vegas, and at first he could catch them. Like, at first, Flagg could catch the people that left, but then uh, then he, there's just too many of them, and he's not – like, he doesn't have as much control anymore. And so he's like, we'll go back. We'll go back. When we're done with Mother Abigail, we'll catch them all. Like they Pokemons. And Lloyd actually very seriously considers leaving. In fact, he, I think if I remember correctly, he's like, as soon as I'm done with this last, uh, this one last job, this, this murdering these guys who came from Boulder, I'm out of here. And of course, you know, what happens when you're one day away from retirement from your.
2: Sure. Of course. Right.
1: And so I like that they gave him a minor little bit of redemption, where he's like, "Uh, "Let's untie these people before they drown. This has gone out. This gotten out of hand."
2: And there's also this buildup of the fact that really loops around when we first saw him. He's not a good person, right? But he also was not the killer that he got. He got sent to prison for being right. And so when he's finally forced to actually become a killer himself, and he's in this position of power with Flagg, but he doesn't actually have to get his hands dirty. Right. And, there's and he just,
1: decides he no likey.
2: Yeah, because he suddenly finds himself at the, you know, the one holding the gun. The We get a courtroom scene. Actually, we're jumping into episode eight, aren't we? Uh, that's okay. Yeah. They're, they're kind of the same thing.
1: Right. They're basically get, the same thing.
2: We get a courtroom scene which is not really in the book but actually was handled pretty well
1: right i really liked it the interrogation in the book and in the 90s miniseries happens in their jail cells Mm -hmm. and so glenn bateman is killed in his jail cell uh flag is there and and he tells lloyd to kill him because by that point like Glenn's like no, nope, we're not doing this. I'm not doing this with you guys. It, it's you know, he's like no, sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to be your puppet. And so they kill him in the jail cell, and they don't. Nobody even. And of course, Larry and Ray are like laughing, like saying up, oh, you're losing control, flag. And but they don't actually, you know, see. Glenn get killed.
2: Now here it's very very public and I again we come back to that the idea that flags control is slipping because this very public almost breakdown that Floyd has which leads to him shooting Glenn a lot
1: mm-hmm.
2: a lot a lot.
1: But see okay that goes antithetically to the way that we've seen Las Vegas work over the last couple of episodes where we've been in Vegas.
0: Well, we didn't but, have the professor there to uh, shine the light on people's own intellect. So that's why the professor was there was to, was to plant a seed of doubt.
1: Right. But, but I mean, these are also people that were watching uh, gladiator battles in, in the hotel pool. I, I would have thought they would have been cheering the, the the shooting of a guy in the head of the court.
2: Oh, it, that's not what was unnerving to them. It was that Glenn was so blunt about the fact that you're all just scared of him. You're all just afraid. You're all just cowards. I mean, he didn't say you didn't use the word coward. And he was kinder about it than, than, than just being that blunt. But that's really what he was saying is that you're all letting your fear... Be the reason he's in control. Mm-hmm. I think that is a great speech. I re- again, Greg Kinnear, just killing it the entire every every time he's on screen, he's great.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he was <laughs> uh, uh, kill. kill. No, yeah.
2: The only problem I had with that scene is that we actually, up until really this episode, these two episodes, we haven't had that many examples of flag.
1: Being that particularly scary?
2: Yeah, that's kind of the problem. Still, great speech, fantastic scene, and again, the seeds of doubt are planted. The, you know, the, the, the damaging of this faith-based power that, that Flag gets to tap right. into.
1: So, yeah, so they're sentenced to death, and uh, Nadine kills herself.
0: Spectacularly. And- oh, it's so good.
1: Stu falls in that ravine. we forgot about Stu falling in the ravine.
0: What's that oh. scream that they have in every star wars? The Wilhelm. the Wilhelm
1: scream mm-hmm.
0: they really should have threw that through that in there she was
1: <laughs>
0: <falling>. <laughs> only the and i did
2: like I did like that too because you know she's she's freaking out she's the baby is coming awfully quickly, but of course you know demon babies they do that. As much as I really appreciate having uh brad Deriff's daughter Fiona is it fiona? I think it's fiona um showing up a lot in these two episodes it's interesting how few people you know flag has rat woman and and Floyd around and they do they do everything for him they run the they run the the p a system <laughs> they perform the the medical treatment for the for the you know expected mother. They it reminds to, they me of the, the IFC
1: board back in the day. <laughs> we did everything.
0: <laughs> they they went to the University of U, well the UNLV, and they majored in uh, in production management. So those guys um,
1: are evil too, yeah. I guess. <laughs>
2: Uh, but it was it was nice to see. I know. love
1: that where she was like, where Rat Woman was like, "You shot the guy. You told me to shoot him. I didn't know you were gonna do it. I thought we were doing a performance." <laughs>
2: yeah, she doesn't necessarily seem evil as much as just
1: just a uh, really competent line yeah. producer, exactly. <laughs> And folks,
2: if you've ever been on a film set you know that that's a really competent line producer can be terrifying.
1: (laughs) I was scared of Anne-Marie for a really long time.
2: You were scared of Anne-Marie.
1: Because of of her clipboard and her uh, you know, do it! Do it or I will shoot you in the face!
2: I I was convinced that Anne-Marie legitimately could not stand me for like the first year we knew each other. Because we worked on a short film together and she was just incredibly efficient and terrifying.
1: <laughs> oh, Anne Marie.
2: Which is why she became my script supervisor for quite a few films because mm-hmm. she was really good at what she did. Uh, when,
0: when, um, when we were, it was like the first day I was on set for uh, the, the movie. Um, We were staying in a Super 8 or something like that in Leavenworth, Kansas.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And uh, I went to bed, and I think I slept that first night. And I I woke up, I'd been bitten like crazy from bugs, man. Uh, And within like 10 minutes, she had me in a new room. (laughs) They had closed that one off for the, you know, to the entire...
1: If I remember correctly, there was like a whole wing of the of the hotel that was closed off.
0: It's probably because of their bed bug problem. That sucked, man. Because it was minus it was negative sixteen degrees or twenty six degrees. I can't remember which. It was the coldest um, day in Kansas history
2: in over twenty five years. Yes, on the very first day that we were shooting on the film Fetch. Yes. Folks, you can find the film as called American Maniacs. Uh, it's on video on demand, I'm sure somewhere, but the name of the film is Fetch. That's yes. The name of the film.
1: And we all met for the first well, I met all of you for the first time on on Fetch. Tim and I shared a room as production staff uh, and became good friends. Yeah. And Curtis was also there. I became friends with Curtis later.
0: Yeah, that's right. I was, I, Dustin was costume designer and uh, among other things, but uh, yes. he gave me the best stuff. It was fantastic. Yes, yes. I, I he dressed that. Ashlyn Yenny from the Human Centipede in these skin tight jeans that were all tore up <laughs> and made her walk from her car to a house and do a scene with me in negative 26 degree weather. She
1: had to wear laundry, like a negligee.
0: Yeah, in, like that's inside not, a house that wasn't yeah. heated. Some abandoned place that we just used. Into art. the
1: barn. She had Folks. to wear that into the barn. That's, Folks, right. Is, that's right. This is a
2: digression portion of our program. You may have noticed we do this. Okay, so years ago, little backstory. Years ago, we worked on the cast and crew. Curtis was in the cast. Dustin and I were on the crew of a film called Fetch. which was released on video on demand as American Maniacs because it falls on the first page when you're looking for video. It's A,
0: it's a marketing thing. It's dumb. The original original script was written by Trent Haga, who you may remember from Toxic Avenger Part 4, Citizen Toxie.
2: It was also significantly rewritten by the time we actually shot it. Because I read an early version of the script, and it was far, far, far more brutal. We should, really,
0: we should really do a
2: full episode dedicated to it. We honestly should.
0: Um,
1: Maybe we can get some of the uh, of our old friends to join we us. Could, we, could, we,
0: could. We, could, we could. We'd have to be careful, though, because I plan on eviscerating that film. Oh, it's I'd, not great. I don't want to make anybody mad.
2: Well, folks, before we do that, just a little thought here. Part of the problem with the film, as much as I am very proud of the work that we did on it.
0: Certainly we did.
2: Um, is that the film is a tragedy and there is no category when you go to Netflix and you look up, I'd like to watch tragedies, please. There isn't a category for that. It's not really a horror film. It's not really a drama. It's not really a psychological thriller. It's a tragedy. And, um, but it's a
1: gore porn tragedy.
2: I thought it was a police procedural. It is all of these things and none of them. It's a tragedy, folks. We'll come back to that another day because that's a that's a
1: We have another week. tragedy to work on tonight.
0: I know we could get Jason and Crystal. Oh, I'd love to get Anne Marie on the show.
1: So everybody dies. Uh turns out Trash Can Man uh uh, his whole, like, my life for you thing was uh, was slightly misleading because what he was saying is that, I've got to make everybody give their lives for you. <laughs> and, and so instead of bringing the, uh, the bomb to the airstrip to be loaded onto a plane and then flown over Boulder and dropped, he brings the bomb right down into the middle of Las Vegas. Uh, and then the hand of God? Literally...
0: The light bulb, the incandescent light bulb of the Lord.
1: Right. And, and as we have said many times on this show, this is, I think, the first time it's actually been, the literal hand of the writer comes <laughs> down and, and ends the book. <laughs>
2: but, the thing is that in, it, we're not exaggerating. If you have never read The Stand or seen the 90s miniseries, it literally is a hand comes down it is it is, the and it is of described
1: God. as a hand it is and in the i like how they did it with the smoke yeah uh in this is that you see the smoke and it's like a fist closing over the hotel i thought that was really cool
2: then and the laser light show kicks in right <laughs> we wanted to play footloose during that part although <laughs> I, I do
1: have
2: to, I, I do have to say the the laser light show was you know some nice little bits of gore there because we could watch to- some of the named characters run away and Get like
1: electrocuted,
2: electrocuted two pieces, like right? gory bits flying around. Except
1: for Lloyd, who's running away, and he sees like the electricity hits a lighting fixture, and he ducks out of the way as the lighting fixture swings down. And then he stands up. And he's like, "Oh, I missed it." I, but nobody ever ain't told me about no Sim. Tripical force. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as the lights. Sw- the light fixture swings back the other way and decapitates him. And I thought that was delightful.
2: Yeah. That was pretty good. Again, all the gore and the violence part of the last few episodes worked pretty well.
0: Which is our milieu in the first place. It's what we would It's what we would appreciate about this.
1: Yes.
2: And, and it's kind of, you know, they, I think they handled again, because it is very much coming from the book. The details are a little different ray and and Larry are chained to a pool here. This is the same pool by the way that Nadine's body ended up yes. in when she threw herself off the the, the top floor, and they're going to be drowned, and so there's this and they've got this big audience. It was like which James Bond movie did you steal that idea from Randall oh, I thought It was pretty effective because yeah. while this is all going on around them, you know they're they're not being rescued they're
0: still they're still dying. I would have hoped that they would construct a giant bladed pendulum.
1: If I remember uh, this, this part of the book, it doesn't, uh, they're brought out kind of on a cart like they're witches from the 16th century. And uh, there's no real like indication of what is going to be happening to them. It's just like, you're about to be tortured to death. And I kind of liked this better. I think.
2: Well, I think, as I recall, they were going to be torn apart by the crowd. I think he was going to throw them to the crowd and have them just be like torn apart. But I mean, this is very theatrical and seems very much in keeping with um, the, this version of Flag. Although I'm right. not
0: sure how I felt entirely about the dance sequence.
1: Yeah, that was weird.
0: I was super glad I was watching it 1.5 speed then because. <laughs> Because that was just jamming. He was knuckling up and doing it. It was great. Yeah,
2: yeah I, Like I said, I'm not... I, uh, we didn't <laughs> get enough of Flag being scary. We got a lot of Flag being a little silly.
1: <laughs> he gets a, this a goofball. He's just a little goofy goofer, son. Oh, yeah. Flag. Why well, you got to try to take over the world all the time? But then, of course, all the, effects, all the
2: lighting effects—all the lighting effects—hit our nuclear weapon, which you know goes off.
1: Yes, blows up Las Vegas, and that's where the episodes end.
0: Not true, because uh, Tiny Tim speaks up, and everybody says, "God blesses everyone."
2: <laughs> yes, Joe, back in uh, Boulder. Can tell somehow that Flag has has died.
1: Right. I just love how at the. I mean, they just like. I guess somebody will take care of Joe. Like <laughs> because I mean, in the book, Larry is with somebody else when Nadine decide she wants to lose her virginity and not go to Flag. And that's part of the main reason. It's like, no, I'm, I'm with someone else. And we're making a life, and she's Joe's mother, and blah, 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 blah. blah. But they cut that character out of this. Mm. So it's just like, somebody in the background, please take this child. <laughs> Which I thought was funny.
2: Oh, I, I suppose we should mention that, that before Larry and Ray are killed, Flag has Nadine's head delivered right to to larry and his reaction is i think important with this whole tearing down flags belief because like glenn he could see that this is all a show right and you know it's it's there's a there's a theatricality to flag that once you start pulling away the, you know, it's, 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 a stage show. Once you, once you know how it works, once you see behind the scenes, it doesn't have power. And the fact that Larry's looking at this, is like, yeah, well, of course you gave me her, her, her severed head. <laughs> that's exactly what that's, a, I mean, you're, you're just doing what you're, you know, almost expected to do. Yeah. And so he just wasn't afraid anymore.
1: Yeah. And then that was able to help keep, Ray from getting too scared because uh, she's a lady and has the lady parts, so she had to be comforted.
0: You know, that's a this... controversial thing to say. I have feelings too, Dustin. Well, we can comfort you later, Curtis. Um, they come from my also I have parts. Yes. In,
2: in fairness, uh, this miniseries treats women very
0: oddly right. as a whole. We can come back to that.
1: Uh, I almost said the bad thing, Tim. Christ, there's
0: like nine puns there. I don't know what to do.
1: I almost (laughs) said the bad thing, Tim.
0: Oh, it hurts. Which one of of those things would make the best joke? Yes. Oh, let's just move on.
2: (laughs) I was not attempting to be funny, but okay. Uh, yeah, well that's so, why you
1: have m- m- for the, the you know me and Curtis, because we we hear we hear the bad thing
2: <laughs> I'm sure our audience did too uh by the way, Stu uh survives the explosion because he's nowhere near it, and Tom uh has long since left Las Vegas, and they find each other in the middle of the desert as the script requires. Yes, and but not before Kojak fights off a wolf because Kojak <laughs> is the best dog he is a good boy
0: I don't see that happening though unless Kojak also has a little bit of god power
1: of course all golden retrievers have a little bit of god power
2: so that's basically the end of the quote unquote adapted from the stand series of our show
1: yeah and so episode nine is supposed to be all new, all different, except for it's completely not. It's pulled right out of the book.
0: It's <laughs> all slow and all boring as shit. And, and when fi- something finally does happen, I'm so mad at it. I can't enjoy it. I actually didn't
2: mind the pacing on it because, I mean, if it had been all on its own, Take this and the previous two episodes, and if we'd given the rest of the show this kind of pacing where you just let things, you know, you took time with stuff, I would have been much happier. Well, maybe. I might have been much happier with this entire thing. I didn't find it right. boring.
1: It was okay. Uh, but like we've said, to to bill it as all new is is not true because the first 30 minutes is is the baby being born and Stu coming back to, to Boulder and them deciding to, to leave. Uh, And all of that happens both in the book and in the nineties miniseries. Uh, And then the only thing that's new is when they get to Nebraska and (laughs) Stu decides to go grocery shopping and leaves uh, Fran alone uh, she falls in the well, like we said earlier, which all, it happens to the bo- in the book, but to another character, only for them to be rescued by a, a magical black child who lives in the cornfield, which I'm not sure how I feel about. Just- okay,
2: so there is a thing. This is where we get all kinds of fun stuff. There's something called the magical Negro. Yes, it is a trope that has been around for a long, long time. Long enough to have a name. Yeah, it's so the
0: basic thing is is that it is a black character who
1: and who has all the answers.
0: Well, let me let me ask you: Was Scatman Crothers? Did he do that in The Shining?
1: Yes. And Mother Abigail is one in this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, theres it's not just in this kind of stuff. Like, there's a movie called The Legend of Bagger Vance, which is all about how Will Smith helps somebody with their golf game.
2: Right. And and The Green Mile, which is another Stephen King story. Yeah. Uh, and these this is not, they're not the first people to do it. And it's been around for a while. And it's a little bit of a... Racism little bit. Spike Lee has a few things to say about it. I'm sure you're surprised to hear. Then we have that on top of that, we have the magical child trope. Mm-hmm. So we have the magical Negro child trope.
1: Who it looks like at first, when they first introduced this child sitting in the in the middle of the cornfield in a tent, you think, oh, this is an actual legitimately a child child. But then... Like things start happening, and she comes out of the cornfield to help, and it made me believe that it was supposed to be like Abigail come back to help.
2: Kinda, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of that's what the impression that you get because you see her with the cross later, and it's almost like this is a a a reincarnated or or a a manifestation Mm
1: -hmm. of
2: Abigail, and. That's
0: fine. Except- I thought I thought that little girl was gonna kill that baby and take her teeth. Yeah, because <laughs> because when we meet, see her, she's sitting out in her little tent at night in the middle of the cornfield, and she says,
1: "Baby's teeth,
0: baby teeth." And I'm like, is, she, is that girl gonna kill that baby and take that baby's teeth?" And then she didn't do it, and I was like. Well the flip side of
2: this is that it you know how creepy it would have been if this is the new flag. Yeah is this, you know, the everything that everything that our heroes would not be expecting, but right. not so much. It's yeah, it's it's a little it's a whole lot of it's not even close to a little, it's a whole lot of magical hand Yeah. You know, our our heroine has fallen down a well and she is... Well, okay, I'm sorry. Looking at that well and the amount of space she actually takes up in that well, she's dead. I'm sorry. She fell, She died at the bottom of that well. She died immediately. Yes. You don't survive a 30-foot fall down an enclosed space like that where you're bouncing off the sides of it as you're falling and live. You just don't.
1: Well, that's why we have our magical child there to help her.
2: But we do get her... And this is this is what Stephen King was setting out to do here. He's gone on record saying that he felt that Franny didn't get a chance to have her own stand against flag. And so she gets that in this sort of other space uh, where he's tempting her and he gives her the whole, you know, I can see your house from here. Uh, would, (laughs) Would you like to have the powers of the universe? You know, it's
1: it's it's right. I can see your ass from here. Hey, wouldn't it be fun if your baby didn't die on the front porch while you were stuck in this well?
0: Just make out with me for a minute and it'll all be cool. Yeah.
1: Well, and you
2: and the funny, I guess, the the seductive thing that he offers is that he's only asking, he's only asking to let him look out through her eyes every okay. now and again.
1: Just so he can check up on things.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's and it seems on one level, of not much to ask, right? In exchange for your life. So I thought that was actually that was actually a pretty effective little bit, um, and you know, her rejecting him, you know, right? Get thee behind me, you fucker. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty effective.
1: But then they end up on the, the coast and uh, everybody's like, wasn't this nice? We made it to the coast. Isn't that great? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Okay, end of show.
2: Oh, no. No, no. There's one thing else that happens there. Oh, you yeah. asked her a question. He would not have waited this long to ask her. So what, so what happens oh, yeah. right there in Nebraska? It's like, okay. Yeah. You waited this long to ask that question? No, well, no. This, that was a question we're you were filming. asking.
0: <laughs> we, were, we were filming here, so I thought this would be a good... Okay. It's that it's that annoying
2: thing you see in movies where the conversation starts before they get into the car and they finish it after they've gotten to their destination and they're getting out of the car.
1: Right. <laughs> like, and The, the Simpsons way, has, has made fun of that, too. The whole way like,
0: she's just saying... Don't ask me what happened back there. Just don't. Just don't talk about it the whole way. This is what he's got to listen to.
1: Right. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, I just wish I hadn't fallen so in love with you during the apocalypse.
2: Why won't you talk to me? We always used to talk. Uh, So, yes. And then, of course, because we've gotten our little teaser as Flag showed her this innocent tribe in the middle of nowhere... Flag shows up on the beach. Starkers, but for his (laughs) boots. And he blows up a guy's
0: head.
1: And they get scarred of him, and that gives him his power.
0: By the way, Randall Flag has been described in this show as being able to fly. He does not fly. He levitates or hovers, but he does not fly. Right. This is true. Yet another reason to despise this show. <laughs>
1: you know what I was thinking sure. about as what? I was watching these episodes? What? What's happening in England? Do the people in, I mean, because we can't assume.
0: Yeah. Does that, China also have, you've get, you have to gather yeah. with the Yangtze and then the bad people are all in Shanghai.
1: Right. Or, you know, are they getting the dreams and like, well, we can't go anywhere. Gee, I hope the good guys win. <laughs> you, know.
2: Um, you know, you know, you would think that at least one airline pilot and one plane engineer would have survived. <laughs> no, no, it was really a very small percentage. Uh, but yeah, and we don't actually get the rest of the world we don't actually get any kind of sense of
0: what's going on outside of really outside of Boulder be, and Vegas. It'd be funny if like 13% of the 0.1% that do survive, I think that's the number from the book, 0.1% yeah. of the population, right. 13% of those guys are all, all worked in it. <laughs> and so they're like, I guess I'm on body crew. Fuck dad said to learn a trade.
2: <laughs> uh so there is a there was a universe where the original plan for this mini series happened and that was four feature films to tell yeah. this story. Now admittedly four feature films is about 8 hours, 8-ish hours. Uh could be, you know, what it was 3 hours long, right? So you can get away with that. But it could have been longer than than eight hours. But the reality of story structure and doing feature films would mean that you would have to have a beginning, a middle, and a climax of a kind. And I think I would have much rather have seen that. Because if you take the last three episodes and treat them like one arc of the story...
1: Which they were.
2: It ends up being, you know, those, these last three episodes are the best parts of the show for all their yeah. problems. And if they had had this structure throughout the rest of it, you know, we had nine episodes of so the first three episodes is one arc. The second three episodes is another arc. and third three, they didn't do that.
1: Right. You know, I would, I would have been fine with this show being uh, three seasons of TV. Mm-hmm. Three, three, nine episodes, you know, where we get.
0: Uh, Cause you can really, you really get to not be in a hurry. When yeah. you When you have that kind of time to tell a story and that can be, well, I mean, lost did it really effectively. They, they had, they had a lot of time to tell a story that they didn't know how it was going to end. Right. I was thinking about if I don't know, man, there's like headspace issues. I could have enjoyed this. Mm. I could have enjoyed this if I didn't, if I didn't have to, I, I'm not going to say I analyze this. I didn't, I I just hate watched it. And I don't know what I, I can't attribute the source of my hatred for this show, which is I'd say about a, hate on the hate scale, about a four out of ten mm. I hate Nazis that's like a nine <laughs> okay so you have some kind of scale of what I'm talking about right so i I don't know i i I want people who have made it this far with us to uh consider if they haven't yet considered it consider enjoying it their own way because I hate it when Um, there's a group on the, on the YouTube and they, they will lick the asshole of anything Star Trek, but when star Wars plays a show or a movie, they have to shit all over it. And I don't want to be like that guy. Right. Stephen King's my favorite. He's always been my favorite because he does things in the novels that are wonderful, but they never make it on screen.
1: Because I feel like a lot of the things that Stephen King does so well when he's writing need to happen inside your imagination. Do or, you, does that
2: make sense? Yeah, I mean, so much... Okay, we've talked about this before. What is on the page does not necessarily translate to what you see well. Adaptations are adaptations. Sometimes you have to make some significant right. changes to from one medium to the other. But... I think that if, especially with this story, considering how much detail about the world and the journey, coming back to what you said earlier, how much the journey matters in the stand. And if we'd given it more time, then I think that they could have found a way to at least make some of that stuff that is internal in the book, have at least an, something that related to it.
1: Right. Um, one of the things that neither of these has done really well is Larry Underwood. In the book, Larry has a very, very strong and interesting character arc because he starts out as a, like a bad person. He's a drug addict. He's a womanizer. He treats everybody badly. He steals money and drugs. And, you know, it's also inferred music. Like that one Mm -hmm. little scene where the guy's like, you know, oh, you stole my song or whatever. Like it's he's not a good dude. And over the course of the book, as he learns to, you know, forgive himself and become a leader and then accept this, this charge from a higher power to take a stand against evil, he evolves and he becomes a better person. And neither one of these shows has really given Larry, neither one has given Larry a chance to be the scumbag.
2: Well, and we come back to the amount of time you can spend with characters and how this show was weighted. So much of the show was weighted to the arc of a character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just and that costs time and space for the other characters. I mean, how much? How as much as we enjoyed Greg Kinnear, how much screen time did he really have?
1: Not enough.
2: I mean, you know the how much how much screen time did Nick get? Right. We're we're supposed to care when Nick dies, but we've maybe had what forty minutes out of six hours when that happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Probably had a line producer going. Nobody wants to see him wave his hands around. Cut to a different character here because they
2: they're drunk when they yeah. <laughs> well, being drunk might explain some things. I just. Um, it, it's a production value was high, fantastic cast, disappointing adaptation.
1: Yes.
0: Do I do I have to talk about it anymore?
1: No.
2: The good news is, Curtis, is that the answer is in fact no.
1: The bad man is gone now, Curtis.
2: Okay. Alexander Skarsgård is not standing behind you
1: no matter how much some of us may want him to be.
0: If he were, I would take him down to, if, if, if he was here right now, if he just popped into thin air, I would run him. I'd probably have to drive about 50 miles to find a bar that was open, mm-hmm. but I would yank him in that bar and I'll go, look, that is what good looking is. <laughs> you should try that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there, you know, the Skarsgards, the Skarsgard men are like great for this kind of stuff because they'll go there. They will whatever you ask them to do. They will, you know. I think I've seen more more consistently Skarsgard ass than (laughs) any, you know. Well, you know, it's Peter, Stellan, Alexander. They don't care. They'll whip it out.
2: When it comes right down to it, the fan service in this show was all Alexander Skarsgård.
0: I can't wait to not watch the YouTube video about all of the references to Stephen King books that are in this movie that we missed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Children of the Corn was
2: kind of on the nose. Right. Well, he is he who walks behind the rose. So
1: (laughs) I did hear Fran in in one of these episodes talk about like the wheel. Like she didn't say Ka, but she said, you know, something like the wheel of fate or something like that. And that's a big, Ka is a wheel. It's a big thing in the uh, Gunslinger series. Gunslinger series. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Missed opportunities. This is a mini series of missed opportunities.
0: (laughs) I would have loved to. Small moment on the road where they like encounter two other travelers and and one of them appears to be a gunslinger and the other's a little boy and they just kind of pass each other and don't say anything.
1: <laughs> well, that
0: kind of shit would have made me really happy.
1: <laughs> actually, actually, it would at that point in their story, it would have had to have been a gunslinger, a little boy, a girl, and a, a woman in a wheelchair, and the other man. Because they they were all together by the time they got to the, the stand world and the, the Godslayer books.
0: I think that that uh, book series is what got me hooked on listening to audiobooks.
1: Yeah. That's a that reader, the guy who reads those books is really good.
2: Speaking yeah. of which, Curtis, don't you have and a new
1: audio?
2: <laughs>
0: oh.
1: Yes, he died. Uh, I can't remember which one. He died after reading uh gosh because i listened to all the gunslinger novels this last year too uh not, or not too long ago and uh it was after one of them there was a uh, afterward by stephen king exclusively for the audiobook and he talks about how the guy was like one of his best friends and he died after reading this book and he was not going to be reading them anymore because he died
0: mm. oh that's awful
1: yeah well you know.
0: It's a bit- People have probably faded out by now, but I'll go ahead and pimp my thing, please. Um, or you can you can move it to a commercial break. You can have five of those this episode. <laughs> <laughs> here, I'll act like you're like we're cutting into, like you could you could fade out of of a tangent and just fade me in to make the following announcement. You ready? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Now, we've clearly gotten off topic, so I thought I would pop in here and just uh, uh, inform everyone that I have a new audio book released on Audible. It's called Ride the Savage Land, and it's written by a guy named Larry Shit. Um, (laughs) Larry
1: Shit? That's a very good name for a writer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dustin came with me from the uh, tangent. So it's on Audible, and if you would buy it, I could eat. I'd appreciate it if you would. It's a Western novel, too, by the way. It's not our thing, but it's what I uh, it's what I hope to it's what I hope you enjoy. You don't want Curtis to starve, do you folks? Do you? And if you do,
2: why? What have you got against Curtis? Curtis is a nice guy.
1: We what like what did Curtis. Curtis do to you?
0: Did, <laughs> well, to make Curtis, make
1: you want him to whatever starve. I've
0: whatever I've ever done to you, your experience listening to my dulcet tones tickle your earballs <laughs> ever so delicately <laughs> for about four or five hours. Now I've got I've got one that I'm working on right now, and it's a fantasy novel, and I'll let you know about that when it's available. Excellent, check that out, folks. All right
2: well we've reached the end of the stand we survived barely and as is our want we were hate watching a good chunk of it this is not the first show we have hate watched in fact the very existence of this very podcast owes its existence to hate watching so it seems appropriate Gentlemen, let's not do this again. Let's do something else we like. Um, <laughs> you can find this show, obviously, wherever you're listening to it, whether it's podcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast platforms. Uh, we appreciate you listening, and you could you could leave us a rating and give us a comment. That would be fantastic. Those do actually help folks find the show, and that is always cool to have more listeners and if you enjoyed the stand or did not enjoy the stand you can let us know through that or you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter we would love to actually hear from you if you did enjoy it tell us what you liked about it if you didn't and you agree with the reasons we didn't or you had reasons that we didn't talk about that you didn't like it we'd love to hear those as well (sighs) ah thank you dustin
1: Thank you, Tim.
2: Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Tim. And again, folks, we appreciate you listening, and we'll do this again on our next episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.